0: May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Our sermon text for this evening will come from the book of Revelation chapter 22. You'll notice in your worship order that the entire chapter of Revelation 22 is mentioned there. Uh, But this week, as I was making my preparations and dealing with the various circumstances of life uh, about midstream, no pun intended, I decided to alter what we're going to do this week. And so given that today is Pentecost, I want us to focus on Revelation 22 verses 1 through 6 and then jump down to verse 17 and verse 21. And then we will come back next week and look at the rest of chapter 22 where Jesus talks about his coming again and we will focus on that next week Lord willing but today I want us to look at the work of Jesus Christ in restoring the creation and pick up where we left off last week and then really center on the person and work of the Holy Spirit as revealed in the book of Revelation and so with all of that in mind I encourage you to stand and hear the word of the Lord if you're able to stand And listen with all your hearts and minds to what Jesus Christ reveals to his church in his word. The trustworthy and true words of God and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says. Amen. You may be seated. I want us to pick up where we left off last week. And in case you weren't here last week, let me give you a brief... Summary, we've been in a series on the book of Revelation and we've been following the Lamb of God into the new creation. And last week we finally entered into the revelation of the new creation where we saw the new heavens and the new earth and this city temple descending from heaven and coming to the earth we saw the new Jerusalem and we saw that God himself dwells there and brings his people from every tribe and language and nation into this city where they may dwell face to face with God we saw the beginnings of the revelation of this renewed and restored creation In other words, we saw the bookends of the whole story of redemption where in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and that old creation was undone by the sin of man, we see in the book of Revelation at the end how God is renewing and restoring His creation by the grace and mercy and power and righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. In the old creation, the garden served as a temple in which God and man would dwell together and a river flowed that watered the land everywhere. And that garden paradise was ruined by sin. But here at the end of Revelation in 21 and 22, we see a new garden, a new city, a new temple in which God dwells, in which His Spirit goes out and fills the new heavens and new earth, bringing life. The old garden was supposed to be ruled and reigned over by a man made in the image of God, but through his sin, he lost that privilege and responsibility. And now, in Revelation, we see the new heavens and the new earth once again being ruled by a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And it is into this new heavens and new earth that we have come. We've been brought here by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Throughout the book of Revelation, we have seen the trials and the tribulations of God's people, our struggle in the world, the conflicts, the battles we've endured, the trouble that we have faced. We have seen our brothers and sisters lose their lives for their testimony, their witness, their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. We have traveled throughout Revelation up through a door in the sky. We've seen the universe next door. We've stood on mountaintops. We've gone deep into valleys. We've peered into the abyss. We have seen monsters and beasts rise up only to be slaughtered and slain by a lamb, a shepherd, the man of God. And finally, towards the end of this revelation of Jesus Christ, it is unveiled to us what Jesus has prepared for us and is preparing for us. What He promised to grant all those who trust and obey Him. And that is free entrance, free passage into this new world, the new creation. You have the revelation here, a continuation of what we saw last week, the angel showing John things and then John writing them down so that we can see them as well. And here he sees the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. This is an echo a fulfillment of what we just heard Ezekiel say. This is not physical water flowing out of a physical structure made of stone and cedar. This is the Holy Spirit flowing from God the Father and Jesus the Son, flowing out from their presence to fill the new heavens, and the new earth. This is a life-giving stream, the living waters that have been promised to us from the prophets and the apostles and from Jesus Christ, our Lord Himself. This life-giving stream flows out to fill the land, this new land, and things come alive in it. You have in the midst of this vision the tree of life a tree which we don't see very often in Scripture, but access to that tree was lost when our fathers, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, sinned and fell, and they were driven away from that old garden to prevent them from coming to the tree and eating of that tree where they would eat and live forever in their sin, under the curse, apart from God. And now, God in His graciousness and His mercy He is granting access to the tree of life once again. This tree of life was not lost. It was not killed. But it is a tree that has been growing and bearing fruit. And the fact that it's bearing fruit, 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month, does not mean that every 30 days there's a new fruit in the basket. It simply means that this is a tree that never dies. The fruit never rots. It's constantly giving life. Interesting thing about this tree, in the past... Before Christ came, men did not have access to this tree. Men in their sin did not have access to this tree because they would have lived in their sin apart from God under a curse. But now that Christ has come, this tree is held out to the nations for whom Jesus died. And when you look at the word nations and trace it back through the book of Revelation, you'll find that it's not just any and every nation that is in mind here or in view here, but the nations, the people from the nations for whom Jesus died. Remember, He is the Lamb of God who purchased redemption and ransomed a people for God from every tribe and from every language, from every people, from every nation. And those who are redeemed from those nations now come into the new heavens and new earth and they are healed of their wounds and healed of their curse. They are healed of their brokenness. By what? By the leaves of the tree of life. The leaves of that tree had a purpose. And they were for the healing of the nations. Where Christ is enthroned, sin and death are dethroned. Where Christ is enthroned, the curse is cast down. No longer will there be any curse. The curse has been lifted. The curse that God uttered upon mankind after the fall of Adam into sin. The curse that... Man would labor and strive just to survive, just to make ends meet. That he would be in conflict and at war with himself and with his wife and with the creation. That he would sweat and strain and struggle just to get get by. But the curse is now lifted. There is relief. There is rest from his labors. The curse that women would agonize in, tr- in childbirth, and in childbearing. The, the curse that their pains would be intensified. The curse that there might be strife and conflict between husband and wife. That curse is lifted. There's no longer any curse in this new heaven and new earth. Why? Because here is where the throne of God and of the Lamb is. This is where God reigns and rules and dwells and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads, unlike their forefathers who hid and ran from God and covered themselves with fig leaves and tried to establish their own kind of righteousness, these servants who have come into the new heavens and new earth, these servants who have passed through the gates into the new Jerusalem, who have made their way to the temple at the heart of the city, have come as priests and as kings to worship and serve the Lord God. They do not draw near in terror or fear, but in confidence and faith. They have the name of God on them. They belong in this place. There's no longer any night. The curse has been lifted. The darkness is no more. The triune God illuminates the new heavens and new earth. The new creation is illuminated by the Lord God. These words are trustworthy and true. Now, This week, as I considered experiences in my own life, struggles I'm having in my own family, considering things that you're going through in your lives and looking at the news reports coming from different parts of the world, I admit that it was very difficult to believe that these words are trustworthy and true. There's so much in our experience that pushes against it and contradicts it. And you see these promises of God, but our experience seems to contradict the promises. And we say, how can these things be trustworthy and true? How can these things be right? That's not what I see. But these things are trustworthy and true because these are the realities that are breaking into our world. The future is coming into the presence, breaking into the present. And it is this truth and this revelation of Jesus Christ that is reshaping the world one heart, one life, one person at a time. These words are trustworthy and true. Although we don't always feel like they are, they don't always seem to be. But the argument is they are trustworthy and true because the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has revealed them to us. And God who cannot lie would not reveal something to us that is not true. He has shown us what is right and good and what He is unveiling at this moment. When you see this image of the water of life that should ring a bell, that should cause you to pause and reflect on something you've heard, where have I heard this phrase before? It wasn't very long ago we were walking with Jesus through the Gospel of John, through the dusty paths and streets of Galilee, making our way up through Judea into Jerusalem and walking with Jesus in Samaria. And everywhere Jesus went, He went in the power of the Holy Spirit promising to give this water of life, this living water to all who would turn and trust in Him. So I want to show you that the echoes, here are some echoes from the Gospel of John that bring us all the way to this place that we see in Revelation 22. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and rested on him like a dove and the prophet john said this is the one who baptizes with the holy spirit and from there we see that jesus went out and spoke to nicodemus an older man and said to him you must be born of water and the spirit which means you must be cleaned. You must be cleansed by God. God will be the one who will sprinkle water on you and you shall be cleaned from all of your unclean things and from your idols He will cleanse you. He will give you a new heart and a new spirit He will put in you. Jesus was the one who spoke the words of God for the spirit was given to Him without measure. Without limitation Jesus was the one who spoke to the Samaritan woman And said to her Everyone who drinks of this earthly water From this well will be thirsty again But whoever drinks of the heavenly water That I will give him Will never thirst again The heavenly water that I will give him Will become in him a spring of water Welling up to eternal life Jesus spoke to a lame man who could not get into the healing waters and told him, get up and walk. Throughout the story of Jesus in the Gospels, we see that Jesus was and is the giver of the water of life, which is the Holy Spirit. And now, here we are, standing in the new city, in the new temple, in the new Jerusalem, and we see that Jesus is the one who is offering once again to give to everyone who thirsts living water. To all who are thirsty for relief, thirsty for rescue, thirsty for renewal, Jesus extends this promise. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Jesus and drink. And whoever believes in Jesus, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus makes promises and keeps promises. He spoke by His Spirit through the prophets, and the prophets said things like this, "...on that day living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea." The prophet said, "...I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to My chosen people, the people whom I formed for Myself, that they might declare My praise." Fear not, O Israel, my servant, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your children, upon your seed, and my blessing on your descendants. And as we heard in our Old Testament Scripture reading before the sermon, this water of life is flowing from the temple. The temple which is... God the Father and Jesus the Son. And it is filling the world. This water is the Holy Spirit. The bottom line is this. Jesus is the one who promises to give the Holy Spirit to anyone and to everyone who is thirsty enough to turn from their sins and trust in Him as Savior. And that includes you. This is the promise that he makes, and it is the promise that he keeps. The question is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty enough to turn from your sins and to trust in Jesus? If you're like me, you've probably known many people in your life who claim to be thirsty, and I mean like spiritually thirsty. There are people who are so thirsty for life, for adventure, for comfort, for pleasure, for companionship or relief that they will do almost anything to slake that thirst even if it means that they're going to slake the thirst only for a few minutes. They just want a moment of relief. I've seen this sort of thing as a pastor in observing others. I've seen it as a parent and observing my kids. I've seen it as a person and just looking at my own life. We want immediate relief right now and we will do anything and everything it takes to get some moment of relief except for the one thing we need to do. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that most of us are too easily satisfied with momentary and temporary relief options. And it looks like this in our lives. It looks like shopping for the next new dress. It looks like gazing at the next naked image. It looks like watching the next episode. Drinking the next strong drink reaching the next game level, losing the next few pounds, making the next risky investment, earning the next advanced degree, seeing the next YouTube video, laughing at the next meme, reading the next book, downloading the next song, cashing the next check, eating at the next venue, or whatever it happens to be. You see how we waste ourselves on things that never actually satisfy, and that actually leave us thirsting for more. I think of a scene in uh, one of the Harry Potter stories where Dumbledore is trying to to solve a mystery, and in order to to get past this next obstacle, he's supposed to drink water. And he drinks and drinks, and the more he drinks, the thirstier he gets until he thinks he's going to die because the fountain from which he's drinking is cursed. We don't realize, but those are the things that happen to us when we try to slake our thirst with things that have been cursed, that are under the curse. We're trying to slake our thirst by things that will never slake our thirst. They only make us thirstier for more. And some people, attempting to slake that thirst, will drink and drink and drink at those wells, those fountains, until they die. Well, like many people in the world, here's the things that we do. These are observations. We chase after these mirages in the desert. And in the end, we end up choking on the dust and ashes of our own illusions. We chase after our own self-centered desires, but end up crashing and burning in the wasteland. The book of Revelation is a revelation to us, not to give us fantastic images of, of another world, but to help us make our way through this one as we follow the Lamb through the old creation into the new creation. And as we follow the Lamb, we see that the good news of following the Lamb into the new creation is that this expert guide does not expect us to make this trek through the wasteland on our own. He's leading us around the pitfalls. He is showing us where the green grass is and where the fresh water is and what dangers to avoid. He is the one protecting us and helping us every inch of the way. And Revelation has shown us that He comes to us with His Word and with His Spirit. And now finally we see in these images, these visions, that He's carried us all the way to the streams of living water. And He offers living water to those of us who are, quite frankly, dying of thirst. And the reason he can lead us to these streams of living water, lead those who are dying of thirst to the streams of living water is because he himself knows what it feels like to die of thirst. He died thirsty so you don't have to. And so that's why he can say, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He offers Himself to the thirsty so that the thirsty may have living water. He offers the Holy Spirit to everyone who is dying of thirst, and yet, you know what happens when we hear these sort of things. It sounds so good in this moment. (sighs) Ah, refreshment. But what will happen five minutes after worship? What will happen five hours after worship? Or five days after worship? What will happen is that we will start talking about something besides this living water. We will be captivated once again by politics and religion and sports and other really important things. In other words, we will not encourage each other to drink of this water five minutes after worship. Five hours after worship, five days after worship, we will have forgotten these promises. And we will need to be reminded all over again. These are the sort of things we do. We're like our forefathers in the past who heard these promises and simply go back to doing what we've always done. Drinking from our own cisterns, our own stagnant pools, and our own mud holes. Those are the places we know we feel comfortable there even though we know they don't satisfy. My fear is that we will hear these promises given to us by the revelation of Jesus Christ and we will do what our forefathers have done. Why is that? Is it because we're rotten to the core? Is it because we're not spiritual enough? There might be a lot of things to say about it, but one might be this is that we're just not quite aware of our own thirst enough to keep coming to drink from the fountain of living waters, to delight ourselves in Jesus, in the gospel, in the grace and truth, and the things of the Holy Spirit. My fear is that we are going to rush quickly back into discussions about trivial matters, which are often fun to talk about. Don't get me wrong. I like talking about silly things as much as you guys do. But my point is this. Instead of encouraging each other to soak in the grace and truth of Jesus and the life of the Spirit, sometimes we simply shut off the flow because we're uncomfortable. We don't want others to know just how thirsty we are. I'm so thirsty. That's what I told my wife today. We were driving back from the airport. And when I should have been crying because our son is flying long and far away, I said, I'm so thirsty. I just have this overwhelming thirst. I need something to drink. And so she loaded me down with her smart water, and I was sucking those things down. I felt like I was thirstier than some of your kids who have just gone to bed, as I heard a comedian say one time. (laughs) So thirsty. And I thought, the irony is this, sometimes physically I feel so thirsty, and I feel no shame at all in asking someone to bring me a cup of water or to make me a beverage of my choice or whatever it happens to be. But when it comes to my heart and soul I'm ashamed to tell someone I'm just dying on the inside. I need some relief. Can you point me to Christ? Can you remind me that he loves me? Why is that true about us? Maybe it's just true about me. But you see where I'm going with this is sometimes our pride gets in the way and we feel no shame at all in saying I need a bottle of water right now. I'm dry as a bone but then when we really need something in our hearts we try to mask it I don't need anything you see the game I don't need anything my job's going great I don't need anything but on the inside we're dying we're dying and the Lamb is leading us away from that the Lamb is saying the Lamb of God is saying hey stop living in the wasteland in the desert you gotta come and to the new creation. You don't have to live like Adam anymore. You can live like Christ. You don't have to live like Eve any longer. You get to live like the bride of Jesus. So come and be refreshed. That's what you really need. Well, you and I know that we're all thirsty. And I know some of you well enough to know that you're thirstier than you care to confess or acknowledge. There's such good news for you here. Do you see it? The good news is that Jesus is he's not angry with you. He's not shaming you. He's not whipping you. He's simply saying, hey, get over here and drink, right? You're thirsty, come drink. Well, in his book, The Silver Chair, C.S. Lewis has this fantastic retelling of a story that I think fits nicely here. In chapter 2 of the book, there's a girl we meet named Jill Pohl. She finds herself lost in a strange world. Her friend Eustace has gone away, and that's to put it mildly, because she has pushed him over a cliff and thinks he might have died in the fall. Eustace's screams echo in her memory. She cries to the point of dehydration. She feels dreadfully, thirsty, and off in the distance she hears the sound of running water and she cautiously moves towards it. She comes to an open glade and then she sees this stream bright as glass running across the turf just a stone's throw away. Now if you're Bo, that's probably like two miles away, but if you're me, it's like 20 feet, not very far Although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood still as if she had been turned into stone with her mouth wide open. And she had a good reason. For just on this side of the stream there lay a lion was so afraid that she could not move or take her eyes off of the lion, but after what seemed like hours to her, her fear of dying of thirst nearly overcame her fear of being eaten by a lion. Suddenly the lion spoke to her and said, If you are thirsty, you may drink. If you are thirsty, come and drink. Jill was dying of thirst, but now she's too afraid of the lion to take a drink. So she asked the lion to go away, but he answered with a low growl and did not budge. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her frantic. So Jill asked, Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? But the lion said, I make no promise. She said, Do you eat, girls? And the lion said, I have swallowed up girls and boys, men and women, kings and emperors, cities and realms. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. And Jill said, I dare not come and drink. And the lion said, then you will die of thirst." Jill said, coming one step closer, "'Oh dear, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then.' And the lion said, "'There is no other stream.'" It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that, and her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do, but she went forward to the stream. She knelt down, and she began scooping water with her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. There is no other stream. Don't deceive yourselves. You must come to Christ and go through Christ to get to this stream of living water. And when you come and drink, you will be satisfied. I said earlier that Jesus is able to quench the thirst of the thirsty and those who are dying of thirst because he himself was thirsty and knew what it was like to die of thirst. And maybe some of you wonder, what did that even mean? Well, if you take together what the Psalms and the prophets said about Jesus' experience at the cross, this is what you learn. You learn that Jesus was thirsty, but he thirsted for much more than just water. The psalmist said his soul thirsted for God, for the living God. He thirsted for his Father. His whole being longed for him in a dry land where there was no water. He spread out his hands to the Father and thirsted for him like a parched land thirst for water. He was at the cross where Jesus was thirsty and died of thirst. He was cursed to a waterless death so that you might be blessed with the water of life. Jesus gave us water from above to deliver us from the waters from below. Jesus died thirsty so that you who thirst might drink deeply and thirst no more. Jesus poured out the water of life to save you from the dust of death. And that is why Jesus can promise... To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life freely without price. Freely without price. How? How? do you get access to this water? What must you do? And the answer is, all you must do is ask for it by faith. Confess your thirst as for a drink. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of you who are thirsty and in need of a drink. Amen.